0: I want to invite you now to take your Bibles, and this is a freedom that we have, ladies and gentlemen. And let's, let's take it seriously and with great opportunity turn in our Bibles. And I want to go to the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7, thank you so much for turning in the pages of God's Word. I'm going to start reading in just a moment at verse 11. You know that this was written a few thousand years ago. It was not written yesterday. It was not written to a president, but it was written to a king. It was not written on a holiday. It was written on a holy day. So, in case we sense any disconnect, let me say that as you study this passage, you will find what every student of the scripture has found, and that is no passage in the Bible expresses God's requirement for national blessing like the verses we are about to read. The principles of this passage transfer as relevant as any word, more relevant than any word we could possibly read to take to heart what we are about to read and open up in this room today is to live our lives in such a way that has tremendous influence. It is so interesting that what we are about to see in terms of national blessing ties right back to how we are doing as the people of God. It does not speak to the world in terms of those who are pagan or completely disconnected from following Christ. It speaks to us as God's people. And as the people of God go, so the nation goes. So it is a very sobering challenge. So let's begin our reading starting at verse 11. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. A place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you faithfully follow me as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty. For I made this covenant with your father David, when I said, one of your descendants will always rule over Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commands I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land and I, that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt... And they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why he has brought all these disasters on them. In these verses, God speaks about his house, his people, and his leader. Will you pray with me? Spirit of God... By your inspired word, now grip our hearts with your conviction and your power to make the change necessary. I'm asking you to stir us and to transform us, encourage and rebuke. I'm asking you for the full influence of your word by your power to be branded on our hearts as a fire. So that we cannot leave here the way we came Lord I pray for an awakening I pray for a spiritual revival I pray that you do something in us as your church today That will set us on a course Of being at our best with this world at its worst I pray this in Jesus name And everyone said The house. Solomon has finished building the temple. He has taken a seat and all the activity, festivities and dedication are over. It seems as though everything would quieten down and then Solomon would perhaps reflect on one of those high water marks in his life. But no sooner had the last person left that God walked in by his spirit and he begins to speak to Solomon. It is not a dialogue. It is a monologue. And in this word from God to Solomon, he references his house, his people, and his leader. The house. The house that 70,000 laborers Work to build 80,000 stone cutters. The house finally finished that then opened with such celebration that Solomon himself offered 22,000 sacrifices. So blood smeared over the altar, immediately letting the people know that their contact with God would be by way of the blood. Instruments were used to help Lift songs of praise as voices resounded in what was called the songs of Zion. Stewardship was seen as offerings were brought and carefully presented. And God says, as I look at this activity, I realize that I fit in this house. My glory can dwell here. This is a place where I will be. I have heard your prayers, Solomon, and I'm pleased with the house, and I will dwell in the house. Its structure, its strategy, its entire mission, its signs, all pointed to sacrifice unto God, a place where God could be glorified, magnified, elevated in the eyes of all of those who would come through its doors. Now I know that you and I, as people, are now the church and that this building is not the church. You are the church. But as evidenced by this crowd, we still gather at a specific place. We still gather in this building and we don't mind calling it the house of God because we're not confused that we are the people of God and we are the church and we're much more than a building but we still honor the assembling of ourselves and I want you to get this word about the house because the importance of the house of this day is just as it was in that day this must continue to be a house where it's very structure allows for so much activity and may it be the activity of God for we are not a country club where we come and gloat over our perfection we are a hospital for the sick through whom the great physician can come and the activity can be that of the healing merciful virtue of an almighty God to a needy people the house. May the songs of this house be the songs of Zion. The songs of the redeemed. The songs of those washed in the blood. The songs that would elevate the name of Jesus. Songs that would make it easy for the Holy Spirit to testify to our hearts that Jesus is the name above all names. And as the praise goes up, may God say, my glory can fill that house. Songs and then sermons sermons that would not be man's opinion but would be the very oracles of God would be the word of God the sword of the spirit wielded with accuracy and anointing reminding us that at Calvary Jesus finished the work and he won the battle and whosoever will may call out on the name of the Lord and they shall be saved may it be a house of preaching the Word of Almighty God. <laughs> Sermons and songs and stewardship where no one manipulates or tries to talk us into obedience because we are overwhelmed at the love of an Almighty God in sending his only son so that he would give his life a ransom for many, we would find it easy, automatic, and with joy we will serve him with our resources, our time, our money, our talent. We say, God, it is yours. I'm talking about the house. The house. Kelly and I, have lived more in a hotel, and our families lived more in a hotel since February, uh, than we have a home. But can I say to you today, we are now in a home. We moved in a home this past Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We are residents of Broken Arrow. And I remember talking to one of the great employees at the hotel where we stayed. Such wonderful people. They say to me, you know, people just don't treat a hotel like they... Treat a home. They have an investment in their home. Here they come and pay some money and let us pick up the coffee cup. They were saying their stewardship, concern, care for the hotel is not like it is for their home. When they said that to me, my mind raced about God's word about the house. This is not a hotel. Let us not date the church. Let us not treat this as a place where we come half-heartedly, throw a few dollars in a plate on occasion or just pass the plate. Not engage when the songs of the redeemed are coming forth in praise to God. Not trembling at the word of God, which is a living word, God's word, God's, God's message to us. We just, it's nonchalant. Where we just are flippant with the house. Over time, we get caught up in dress codes and, and where we can take a soft drink in this room or that room. And all of those things are about stewarding the house, which has its place but we can be more concerned about that than we are the holiness of god in the house the righteousness of God in the house, the worship unto God in the house, the honoring of the word of God in the house. When you go back to the house of 2 Chronicles, it was a place of songs, sermons, and sacrifice that brought such glory to God that God said, I can dwell there. I want this to be a house where God says, I can be there. I can be there in power. I can be there in deliverance. I can be there in healing. I can be there in salvation. I can be in that house. I fit with those people. I will make my habitation upon the wings of their praise for they are a people after my heart. Oh, I want this to be the house which can be filled with God's glory. Not performance but praise. Not dynamic motivation, but preaching of the word. Not soothing the itching ear, but humility that comes because our hearts are convicted of the Spirit of God. The house, and then the people when he moves from talking about the house he by inference of the text he says now solomon all of future days will not be like the last 15 of just victory and celebration there will be tests because with times come tests and he talks about rain being withheld and the invasion of the crops And he's saying, when things happen that could be distractions of your spiritual passion, I will expect what you have done in dedication to be lived out in consecration. When it becomes difficult, don't lose focus. And if you do, I will expect four things humility, prayer, the seeking of my face, and turning from wicked ways. I will expect humility. That is the unconditional surrender of my will to the will of God. That is where I say this is the word of God and its principles are the lead on life, relationship, business, and even death. And I will honor his word. I will humble myself. I will pray. I will I will articulate my heart to God, not like I'm ordering a hamburger. I, 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 want it, I want it this way and cut out the hassle and I just present a request. List, but I, I come with humility and prayer and say, have mercy on me, O oh God. I cry out to the living God, early will I seek thee as the deer panteth after the water. So my soul longeth after thee, God. I'm hungry for your presence. I'm hungry for your holiness. Oh, that I might see you in your sanctuary. I seek your face. That's number three, to seek the face of God. You see, if I'm looking for my daughter in this crowd... I'm looking for a face among faces. I'm I'm looking, I'm searching. If I'm in an airport terminal and there's someone that I'm looking for, a family member that's returning home, I am looking in the crowd for a certain face. There are so many distractions. God is saying, I will expect for you to seek my face, to be on the stretch for God, to look for God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I will look for humility. I will look for prayer and those who will see my face, now watch this what gives credibility to those three is that we turn from our wicked ways without the turning then all the rest is hypocritical all of the rest is religious activity but if we turn from our wicked ways God says I will hear you I will forgive you and I will heal your land I'm excited today that God has always had a people. Pharaoh's cruelty, God still had a people. Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, God still had a people. The emperor's persecution, God still had a people. In the 17th century or the 21st century, I say today that God still has a people. That we are the people of God. And let me say today, we are the triumphant people of God. We are not losers, but we are winners because of Christ's victory. We are triumphant because he has been raised in triumph over all sin and Satan and every demon. I would say God still has a people. Therefore, to that servant of God in a place... Where they're forcing the church underground, I would say, the powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it is forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has fought its way through the solid rock. So I preach to the missionary, sow your seeds in confidence. God still has a people I say to the hurting heart, you are going to make it. I say to the busy mother, God cares. I say to that young student, you are not alone. To the faithful father, don't you quit. Don't give up. Over the years, Satan has tried to snuff us out. He has tried to take our message and blast it into oblivion. But God has a people, a people that cannot be bought, that cannot be flattered, and cannot be silenced. On through the ages, we march. God has a people and we are alive, and we are triumphant, and we are on the winning side. God has a people. Hallelujah. And if God's people, who are called by his name, will humble themselves, pray and seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways, he will hear, forgive, and he will heal. The house, the people, and now the leader. In verse 17, in this monologue, God says, Solomon asks for you. If you faithfully follow me, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I'll establish the throne of your dynasty. Listen to these words. Not only that, I will establish you. For I made this covenant with your father. Now notice what he says. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey, then I will uproot you. The if then word of God. Solomon, here's the positive. If you follow me in obedience... I will unload the blessings of heaven. If you abandon me, I will uproot you. I thought about that uprooting and the whole concept of roots. Let's talk about a taproot. A taproot is the root that grows vertically downward and deep. It gives the center for all of the other roots to grow laterally. As God's people and as God's leaders, we cannot be an inch deep and a mile wide. You understand that we are in a time of testing. As a country, we are in a time of testing and what can be shaken will be shaken. And those who see this house as a hotel and serve God only out of convenience will not have tap roots that have grown deep so that they are remaining when the shaking is over. I call on you to put your roots deep into the things of God. Jesus said, I am the way. That is discovery. I am the truth. That is Bible study. And I am the life. That is the daily experience. You put all three of those together and you've got a taproot that goes down deep and it'll hold you in any storm. To God's house, to God's people, to God's leader. The Spirit of God spoke. Now come with me, come with me. As God entered that that room where Solomon was, if he entered this room as he did that room. Would he join us around the keyboard and began to harmonize. Tis a glorious church. Would he join in. My country tis of thee sweet land of liberty. Of thee I sing. Would he sing. Or would he weep. I think he would weep. And I think he would say. Go back to my book. Go back to 12 verses that give strategy and requirement for national blessing. And there he speaks about his house, his people, his leader, his house, To be a house of prayer. Jesus picked right up on it in the New Testament. He had to go into his house and clean it out. And says that which was to be a house of prayer has become a den of thieves. Charlatans have come into the house. But you are able to see through the hypocrisy and the chicanery. And you know that this is not to be a place of performance, but a place of humility before the holiness of God where we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are ready to listen. And we are shaped in our worldview, shaped in our application of all of our decisions by what he says. The house of sacrifice praise, sermons about him stewardship of all that we are and then his people the way we live in humility prayer seeking of his face and taking it seriously turning because sin is still sin and sin has consequences and sin breaks connection and fellowship and sin hurts the heart of god and hurts people and we take it seriously you see then he gets to the leader Because I can't control you, and you can't control me, and I can't control society. But I tell you this, I can watch over my own heart. I may not be able to clean up society, but I can clean up my own heart by the power of God and if you'll watch over your heart and I'll watch over my heart then together we can bring a praise from the corporate church that will shake this community with the righteousness and the very winsomeness of a loving God oh let it sink deep in your soul I think you'd say back to the book back to these 12 verses back to a heart for him. I ask you to close your eyes in prayer. I want to talk and pray with us as a church and then I would make a passionate appeal to those who don't know Jesus, but today is your day. To the church I pray We are aware that these are days of decadence and we will take responsibility. Lord, we take responsibility today. We take responsibility. We don't shun responsibility. We don't delegate responsibility to some professional. And Lord, we don't park the morality of this nation at the door of our president or our mayor our Senate, our Congress, or our city council, we park this responsibility of this nation's morality right in the house of God.